Non-invasive ventilation. Non-invasive ventilation is a method of delivering oxygen by positive pressure in an attempt to postpone or prevent invasive tracheal intubation in patients with acute respiratory failure. So again, what is non-invasive ventilation? It's a method of delivering oxygen by a positive pressure and you're doing this to prevent or postpone invasive tracheal intubation in patients with acute respiratory failure. Now, respiratory, respiratory failure, there's a rule of twos. There are two types of respiratory failure. Type 1, which is an issue with oxygenation, so you have hypoxemic, for example, congestive heart failure. And type 2, respiratory failure, is an issue with ventilation, so you have hypercarbic, example, COPD. Now remember, COPD can be both type 1 and type 2, yeah? right? There are two settings on non-invasive ventilation to improve hypoxemia. You increase the FI2, or you increase PEEP. In patients who don't improve their oxygen saturation with FiO2 alone, you have to consider long shunt physio physiology. And these patients need PEEP to help recruit atelectatic alveoli to overcome the shunt. Um, another rule of two is the two settings on non-invasive ventilation to improve hypercarbia. So in to effectively increasing the minute ventilation. You want to improve hypercarbia. You want to therefore by doing this you want to improve the minute ventilation. So you increase the tidal volume and you increase the respiratory rate. Two types of non-invasive ventilation. You have continuous positive airway pressure. Um, can we only have the type 1, the hypoxemic respiratory failures as it increases the mean airway pressures or in increases peak? And the bi-level positive airway pressure, BIPAP. And this could help with type 1, the hypoxemic, and type 2, the hypercarbic respiratory failure. Um, and in this, you have our inspiratory positive airway pressure, expiratory positive airway pressure. And the expiratory positive air pressure, this alone functions like CPAP. And the difference in the IPAP and EPAP is what will improve the tidal volume. So in other words, the bigger the difference between the inspiratory and expiratory positive air pressure improves, um, gives a bigger tidal volume. And there are two types of CPAP. You have the high flow humidified nasal cannula. Um, flows range from 20 to 80 liters per minute and pressures start at 5 centimeters water and titrate up to maximum 20 centimeters water. So flows range from 20 to 80 liters per minute and the pressures start at 5 centimeters and they titrate up to 20. The more flow you produce, the more positive pressure you produce. We don't really know the exact amount of CPAP you get from this as it, it is dependent on patient factors that is the patient needs more more than one oxygen but doesn't necessarily need a tight fitting mask um you can get cpap also apart from the high flow you can get it from the the, the cpap mask as well and you start with a pressure of five centimeters water but you don't really need is no hard rule in this and titrate the two to three centimeters water every five to ten minutes um Note well, the maximum pressure you could get, you should aim for is 20 centimeters water. Because if you recall, the lower esophageal sphincter has a pressure tone of 23 to 25 centimeters water. 
So if you use higher pressures than this, you will inflate the stomach and cause vomiting. So again, the maximum pressure you should aim for in CPAP is 20 centimeters waters because the pressure of the lower esophageal sphincter has a tone of about 23 to 25 centimeters water. So you don't want to overcome these pressures and increase your risk for vomiting and even worsen your, your risk for aspiration as well. Two types of BiPAP you can get is the inspiratory positive air pressure where you have a range of 5 to 20 centimeters water and expiratory positive pressure where you have a range of 0 to 20 centimeters water. Um, how does non-invasive ventilation work? So non-invasive ventilation improves the lung mechanics by improving laminar airflow by stenting the closed airways or semi-obstructed airways thus decreasing the atelectatic alveoli, improving pulmonary compliance and reducing the work of breathing. So you want to improve the airflow, keeping the airways open, um, preventing atelectasis, improving pulmonary compliance and decreasing the work of breathing. So the modes in non-invasive ventilation, you have the pressure and volume modes. The pressure modes are better tolerated than the volume cycle vents, um, gives you positive airway pressure and BiPAP and pressure support ventilation. The volume modes, you have an initial tidal volume ranging from 10 to 15 mils per kg. Um, they have control, assist control and proportional assist control modes. So you may ask, what is the difference between CPAP and BiPAP? Continuous positive airway pressure is basically the machine provides a constant fixed pressure throughout the respiratory cycle. Between breaths, the pressure in the patient's airway, instead of being allowed to return to atmospheric pressure, as it normally does, is maintained at a pressure above the atmospheric pressure and effectively preventing atelectasis. Uh, CPAP appears to be more effective in reducing the need for endotracheal intubation and possibly mortality in patients presenting with acute cardiogenic pulmonary edema. So in CPAP, CPAP basically has a mode for invasive and non-invasive mechanical ventilation. And as stated before, it provides static positive air pressure throughout the respiratory cycle, both during inspiration and expiration. It facilitates inhalation by reducing pressure thresholds to initiate airflow. There is no pressure support and is favored in patients with hypoxemic respiratory failure, such as pulmonary edema and pneumonia. The mechanism of action is that it reduces the work of breathing by counteracting with intrinsic PEEP. It helps alveolar recruitment, decreases shunt, and improves ventilation and perfusion. It improves alveolar gas exchange and the removal of carbon dioxide and decreases oxygen consumption of the intercostal muscles. Inside the pressure, in, sorry, CPAP again also increases the pressure inside the thorax. Now remember that. The, the these pressure increases may impede venous return and lower the cardiac afterload. So it, it acts as a left ventricular assist device. So again, 
one of the things that CPAP does is that it increases pressure inside the thorax. And these pressure increases may impede beta's return, which is a preload. And by lowering the cardiac afterload, it acts as a left ventricular assist device. And these physiological changes are the basis of non-invasive ventilation for the treatment of pulmonary edema. Although a preload, for preload-dependent patients, the increase in intrathoracic pressure may cause hypotension. So that is the problem with CPAP. Is, uh, that's why you can't um, give it to hypotensive patients because the, 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 the CPAP increases the pressure within the thorax. And these increased intrathoracic pressures may impair venous return, which is preload. And in some cases, preload dependent patients may be, may require this to help keep them keep their pressures up. So by doing low in the preload, effectively causing the patient to become hypotensive. So summary, some in summary, of the responses of of CPAP. It um, increases the functional residual capacity, improves lung compliance, it opens collapsed alveoli, improves oxygenation, and decreases the work of breathing. For bi-level positive air pressure, basically the machine offers two different pressure settings during inspiration and expiration. They have IPAP and EPAP. Positive airway pressure increases during inspiration and decreases during expiration. The inspiratory pressure is always set higher than the expiratory pressure, can be sustained for various periods, and stops when the patient ceases to inhale or begins to exhale, thus easing the work of breathing. Increases in inspiratory pressure are helpful to alleviate dyspnea. Increases in expiratory pressure are better to improve oxygenation. And as stated before, BiPAP is used for type 2 respiratory failure. Um, as stated, you, the increases in respiratory pressure help to alleviate the dyspnea. Increases in expiratory pressure help to alleviate or improve, improve oxygenation. So BiPAP ventilation appears to be more effective in reducing mortality and the need for tracheal intubation in patients with acute decompensation of COPD. So there are two, two modes for BiPAP, which the machine could give for BiPAP. They have the spontaneous mode and the time-triggered mode. In the spontaneous mode, the airway pressure cycles between an inspiratory positive airway pressure and an expiratory positive airway pressure. The patient's inspiratory effort triggers a switch from EPAP to IPAP. The limit during inspiration is, is a set level of IPAP. So the limit during your inspiration is a level at which is set for any inspiratory positive air pressure. The inspiratory phase cycles off and the machine switches back to EPAP when it detects a cessation of patient effort. For example, decreasing inspiratory flow weight or maximum inspiratory time reach. And this is typically about two to three seconds. In the time mode, um, the trigger can be the patient's effort or an elapsed time interval, predetermined by a set respiratory backup rate. If the patient does not initiate a breath in the prescribed interval, then IPAP is triggered. And so you have machine-generated breaths. The ventilator cycles between EPAP based on a set inspiratory time, or you have patient-initiated breath. 
the ventilator cycles as it would in spontaneous mode. So the question may be asked, what pressure settings should I use in, in non-abrative ventilation? In CPAP, for patients with suspected acute pulmonary edema, it's reasonable to set CPAP pressure at 10 centimeters water. This pressure can be adjusted up or down depending on patient comfort. Oxygen should be titrated based on PCO2, PO2, and titrated to the patient SPO2 at the bedside. For BiPAP, patients should have an IPAP of between 12 to 15 centimeters water and EPAP of 4 to 7 centimeters water. And these pressures are titrated up or down depending on the patient's clinical condition. Failure to improve oxygenation should prompt an increase in the fractional inspired oxygenation and EPAP. Failure to improve hypercarbia should increase the IPAP. So if you're doing, if you're doing BiPAP, you start with a IPAP of 12 to 15, EPAP 4 to 7, and if you want to improve the oxygenation, you increase the FiO2 and EPAP. If you want to improve the hypercarbia, you increase the the um, IPAP. So take-home points based on the current evidence, pressures should not exceed 25 centimeters water at any point, regardless of the mode of non-invasive ventilation used. In order to maintain pressures, it's important to achieve a good seal with a non-invasive ventilation mask. What are the indications for non-invasive ventilation? You may some you, someone may ask you this. So, the indications for non-invasive ventilation are airway obstruction and hypoxemic respiratory failure. Airway obstruction such as COPD, asthma, extubation failure in COPD patients, obstructive sleep apnea, obesity, hypoventilation syndrome, and then you have the hypoxic respiratory failure conditions such as acute pulmonary edema, immunocompromised patients, post-operative patients, ARDS, pneumonia, trauma, burns, restrictive thoracic disorders, and patients who are not to intubate. When those patients who you have, we do not intubate, sign on them. So again, indications for non-invasive ventilation, airway obstruction such as COPD, asthma, Extubation, failure in COPD patients, obstructive sleep apnea, obesity, hypoventilation syndrome. In hypoxemic respiratory failure cases, you have the acute pulmonary edema, immunocompromised patients, post-operative patients, ARDS, pneumonia, trauma burns, restrictive thoracic disorders, and do not intubate patients. What are the contraindications? to non-invasive ventilation. So there are absolute contraindications and relative contraindications. The absolute contraindications are those who need immediate endotracheal intubation, the obtunded or unconscious patient, patients with excess respiratory secretions and risk of vomiting and aspiration, significant facial trauma, burns, recent surgery, um, and presence of untreated pneumothorax. Again, the absolute contraindications for non-invasive ventilation are those who need immediate endotracheal intubation, 
the abdominal unconscious patient excess respiratory secretions and risk of vomiting and aspiration significant facial trauma burns recent surgery presence of untreated pneumotraps relative contraindications are those with hemodynamic instability severe hypoxemia and or hypercapnia where you have a pao2 or over fil2 ratio of less than 200 pacu2 of more than 60 poor patient cooperation so confused agitated severe cognitive impairment and lack of trained or experienced staff again relative contraindications hemodynamic instability severe hypoxemia or hypercapnia poor patient cooperation confused agitated severe cognitive impairment lack of trained or experienced staff so what are your or your predictors of success in acute respiratory failure the predictors of success in acute respiratory failure include lower acuity of illness so based on your apache score ability to cooperate better neurological score ability to coordinate breathing with the ventilator less air leakage intact dentition hypercarbia but not too severe so nothing between more than 45 or less than 92 acidemia but not too severe a ph between 7.1 and 7.35 and improvements in gas exchange and heart and respiratory rates within the first two hours what is the clinical what is the expected clinical course for non for the non-invasive ventilation patient in ae again what is the expected clinical course for the non-invasive ventilated patient in ed the clinical parameters that you should monitor include patient tolerance of non-invasive ventilation increase in secretions mental status change synchronous breathing with the ventilator air leaks respiratory rate tidal volume changes in relation to the respiratory rate oxygen requirement in relation to pulse oximetry blood gas tidal volume and minute ventilation parameters of failure in a patient on non-invasive ventilation include vomiting persistent coughing aspiration progressive respiratory distress respiratory arrest loss of consciousness respiratory rate rising greater than 35 to 40 persistent hypoxemia despite supplemental oxygenation hemodynamic instability and shock worsening arterial ph pco2 po2 or venous ph worsening pao2 over fio2 ratio so what is the evidence to support non-invasive ventilation in a patient with acute primary edema although a large rgd showed no difference in mortality when they compared standard oxygen therapy cpap and bipap overall non-invasive ventilation has shown to reduce dyspnea scores heart rate acidosis and hypercapnia and a more recent study showed non-invasive ventilation reduced the need for for tracheal intubation in patients with acute pulmonary edema a study by meta and colleagues showed that patients receiving bipap in acute pulmonary edema had a concerning relationship with developing acute myocardial ischemia which had a flow-on effect for the use of CPAP only in acute pulmonary edema however recent studies have shown no statistical difference between CPAP and BiPAP in the development of myocardial ischemia 
hypotension can occur with the with the use of CPAP in acute pyrimidine generally in patients with volume depletion or hypovolemia due to the reduction in preload and cardiac output. What is the evidence to support on the basal ventilation in the patient with acute exacerbation of COPD? So BiPAP is a preferred non-invasive ventilation mode in acute exacerbation of COPD. A Cochrane systemic systematic review looking at 14 studies on non-invasive ventilation, positive pressure ventilation for the treatment of respiratory failure due to exacerbations of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease found the following results. NIV reduced mortality by 50%, decreased the need for intubation by approximately 60%, and reduced treatment failure by 52%. The systemic, systematic review also demonstrated patients on non-invasive ventilation showed a rapid rise, rapid improvement in pH, respiratory rate, and PCO2 within the first hour. The authors concluded that the evidence supporting NIV should be considered as a first-line therapy in COPD exacerbations. What is the evidence to support NIV in patients with acute asthma? So although you yeah, saw excellent results with NIV in COPD, the use of its use in acute asthma remains less convincing and controversial. BiPAP is a mode of choice in providing NIV to the acutely severely asthmatic patient. It is currently postulated that NIV ventilation pressures as they are currently used may not be sufficient to overcome the degree of obstruction and associated resistance that is manifested by inflammation, edema, and partial or complete obstruction of the airway that is characterized in acute asthma. There have been a few small studies looking at the use of NIV in asthmatic patients with some promising results. However, a recent Cochrane review has stated although results look promising, a large RCT is needed to determine its effectiveness. What are the complications resulting from non-invasive ventilation? So, the complications of non-invasive ventilation could be categorized into the major complications such as severe hypoxemia, aspiration, hypotension, mucus plug-in, problems related to pressure, so sinus pain, gastric insufflation, pneumothorax, problems related to air flow, dryness, nasal congestion, eye irritation, and other complications such as claustrophobia, air leaks from poor mass seal, pressure sores in other nasal bridge. So again, Complications from non-invasive ventilation could be categorized into major complications such as severe hypoxemia, aspiration, hypotension, mucus plug-in, problems related to pressure, pneumothorax, sinus pain, gastric insufflation, problems related to airflow, dryness, nasal congestion, eye irritation, other complications such as claustrophobia, air leaks from poor mass seal, pressure sores at the nasal bridge. What are the must-do markers of quality ED critical care in a non-invasive ventilated patient? So be prepared. Have a protocol in partnership with your nurse's respiratory therapist when NIV is needed. Start NIV early in eligible patients. It may increase chances of a good outcome. 
we assure the patient NIV may be frightening to an already anxious patient whose sedation or analgesia with extreme care have definitive airway equipment ready in case the patient deteriorates. Venous blood gas pH correlates well with arterial pH and may be followed as an objective marker of improved ventilation.